Welcome to Wanja City. My name is Wanja City, and you are now on board a rebuilding tour series through the memoirs of Nehemiah, a book of the Bible. This is the eighth and final episode of our rebuilding tour that has seen us journey through the memoirs of Nehemiah. We have seen from the very first episode the importance of the rebuilding, making comparisons with building shows and our own lives in various capacities. We saw about getting resources and preparing for the task of building in episode 2 when Nehemiah asked and went. In episode 3, there was nothing but action. The people got to work the wall through all the 10 gates in Let's Build the Episode. We dedicated an entire episode 4 addressing challenges faced in form of haters and why persistence is key despite challenges that come up in the course of a rebuild. We were inspired in episode 5 where we learned from Nehemiah's example that it is important to lead and care for the less privileged. Episode 6 was delightful as there was the completion of the wall. Yes, the wall was up and despite all manner of challenges, the wall was rebuilt and in a record 52 days, the people were triumphant. God and his people were triumphant, I should say. In uh, the last episode 7, the next steps as indeed happens once a building project is completed was settling in and didn't we just see how to truly have a housewarming party the people celebrated a whole week party after party after party after yes which brings us to today after building the outer wall and having an awesome reveal in spite of enemies the people now began to settle in as you will see and take the next steps so what do you do once you have moved into your new city, town, house, or relocated to a former place? What did Nehemiah and his people do now that they had begun to settle in and had celebrated as required? This is episode 8, where we will consider chapters 9 to 13 of Nehemiah in what I am calling the House Rules episode. Welcome. Chapter 9 begins with the Israelites confessing their sins. They gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth with dust on their heads. That's the way they would do it to show repentance. And then they confessed their sins, even the wickedness of their fathers before them. Once again, on this 24th day of that very same seventh month that we saw in episode 7, the people stood and read from the book of the law of their God. And for a quarter of a day, a quarter of a day, in the last episode, we saw Ezra read from this very same book of the law, from daybreak to noon. Now, here they are again, tuned in attentively, listening to this very book of the law. And we are told this time for a quarter of a day. Then they spent, get this, another quarter of a day in confession and worshipping the Lord God. So, a quarter of a day reading from the book of the law, before spending another quarter of the day confessing and worshipping. So, all in all, half the day. And some of us can hardly sit through a two-hour Sunday service. Mm, mm, mm. The Levites, remember them? These are those very helpful people who are translating the words Ezra was reading. Ezra was this priest and scribe who was reading from the book of the law. And then the Levites would help translate or explain what the people couldn't understand. So what Ezra was reading was now being translated. And here we find them in episode 8 being very helpful as always, leading the people in worship and praise of God. 
And they begin all the way in the beginning from God's creation and his choosing of their father Abraham, then Abraham, to their struggle and redemption from Egypt with Moses and the commandments. Then they mention their forefathers' disobedience of the Lord's commands. Yet they mention how God was forgiving and compassionate of their travels for 40 years in the wilderness and then how God gave them an inheritance and then how their forefathers forgot once they were dressed because they were stiff-necked and they refused to listen and obey. Yet God was patient. It is to this same great, mighty, awesome God who keeps his covenant of love that they confess these sins that had seen them in distress, great distress, as slaves in their promised land. Because with its abundant harvest, it all went to the kings who are lording over them. In view of all this, the people made a binding agreement and put it in writing. The leaders, that's the Levites and priests, they affixed their seals to it. I mean, like a proper legally binding agreement in writing. Chapter 10 lists all the people who sealed it, beginning with, appropriately so, Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hekaliah, as we saw in chapter 1. This same Nehemiah of these memoirs we are studying is the same one we are referring to as the governor. So he affixed his seal first. There were other people whose names are listed, including Levites and leaders of the people. They're all listed in that chapter. You can go check out chapter 10 of Nehemiah if you're interested. Now the rest of the people who are not there, including other priests and Levites and gatekeepers and singers and temple servants and others, now the other people, all who could understand joined their nobles and bound themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God that had been given through Moses and to carefully obey all the commands, regulations and decrees of the Lord. These people made many promises concerning intermarriages or not intermarrying certain tribes, responding and respecting the Sabbath, giving to the house of the Lord in terms of fast fruits and other offerings. And they just basically promised not to neglect the house of God. That was the import of their agreement. Then we move to chapter 11 of Nehemiah. And here it lists the new residents of Jerusalem. What they did is they devised a formula that so one out of every 10 of the people live in Jerusalem. You know, let's think of Jerusalem like the capital city. So you get one out of every like village town to go and pass on to go and live in the capital city now the remaining nine would stay in their own towns isn't that a good plan so we are told that they cast lots that was basically how the decision made that was their strategy so the chapter the chapter goes on to list the leaders who settled in jerusalem from the descendants of judah of benjamin the priests, the levites and the gatekeepers chapter 12 lists the priests and levites who had returned from exile and who their leaders were and that takes up about 26 verses because from then, that's verse 27 of that same chapter 12, we get to read about the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. This is that very famous wall that we have been dealing with, the one that people have been rebuilding, and that's been the subject of this rebuild series at Ponja City. Yes, now they are dedicating it, and to do so, the Levites were sought out from wherever they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music and instruments that cymbals and harps and so on. Of course, they had to bring in the singers to the capital from around the region and the villages, wherever they were. You can't really have a celebration without music and singers. So the Levites and priests purified themselves ceremonially. Then they purified the people and the gates and the wall. If you have followed this rebuilding series, you'll know that Nehemiah was an excellent strategist. 
At the dedication, he says he had the leaders along the wall and then got two large choirs to give thanks. He had one proceed along one side towards the dung gate. This gate, that's one of those gates we read about in episode three. And then he got the other second choir to proceed in the opposite direction. Now he, Nehemiah, followed this second choir together with half the people past several gates, including the Ephraim, Old Gate, Fish Gate, as far as the Sheep Gate, and then they stopped at the gate of the guard. The other first choir, remember the one that went to the opposite direction, it had the other half of the people and half of the leaders as well as the priest with the trumpets. And then Ezra, the scribe, he's the one who was leading the choir one. And they proceeded from the fountain gate to the water gate in the east. So you see in short, we have two large choirs, two leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah. Each leader has a half of the people going in opposite directions along the wall for dedication to meet up at the middle. Did you? Two choirs met and gave thanks and everyone else took their places and they rejoiced greatly. The sound of rejoicing, we are told, could be heard from far away. So it's safe to say it was indeed a joyous celebration and dedication. Read about it in chapter 12. And this brings us to chapter 13, the final chapter, the final leg of this eighth episode of our rebuilding tour. We sign out by listening to our lead character himself, Nehemiah, and his final reform. We are told on that day that the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. It seems to be a habit that every time they have a celebration or a gathering, Nehemiah's people would read from the book. It is something we can borrow. Nehemiah mentions that before this, some person named Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. This Eliashib, if you don't know, was closely associated with Tobiah. Tobiah! If you don't know, haven't been following the series, or have just simply forgotten, let me tell you or remind you who Tobiah was. Tobiah was one of those bad ones. He was one of the haters. Along with another hater named Sanballat, they had done the most to discourage this wall building. This Tobiah had in early episode 4 from chapter 4 of Nehemiah mocked the people saying, and I quote, If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stone." when he asked what do these feeble jews think they are doing what's more at the end of episode 6 from chapter 6 of the Hemiah, we found that this same tobiah was some sort of in-law to some nobles who would snitch to him all that nehemiah was doing and basically try to make tobiah look good in the eyes of nehemiah just sabotage from inside i tell you i also tell you that's doing the most now we hear that this same Eliashib priest was, who was closely associated with Tobiah had provided this Tobiah with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings. Now we hear articles and, and tithes of grain, new wine, oil prescribed for Levite singers and gatekeepers as well as contribution for priests. The nerve, the sheer nerve, as in a large room meant for what we would call God's storeroom for temple workers was given to one of their haters. What treachery. What kind of allegiance to Tobiah is this that Eliashib, a priest, has with a hater? Turns out, at the time this was going on, Nehemiah was not in Jerusalem. No wonder. What he had done is that he had returned to the king. If you remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king as we first saw in episode 1, chapter 1. So sometime later, he, after he had gone back to the king, he asked for permission again and came back to Jerusalem. That was when he learned of that evil thing Eliashib had done by providing by providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Understandably, Nehemiah was greatly displeased. I mean, upset, mad, wouldn't you be? And rightly threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of that room. 
Then he had it purified before putting back the correct equipment, the grain offerings and the incense in the house of God. You know, the stuff that should be there. Yes. And then Nehemiah learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and they had they and singers, the ones who are responsible for the service, had gone back to their own fields because now they are not being given their portions. It doesn't end, does it? I mean, it's just one thing after another here facing Nehemiah. So what Nehemiah did was he rebuked the officials and asked them why God's house had been neglected. He then called them together, stationed the officials at their posts, and then the people could now come and bring tithes of grain, new wine, oil into the storerooms. All the people of Judah, that's all of Nehemiah's people the ones who had come back. So Nehemiah then put in charge men who were considered trustworthy and made them responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers, that's the priests and Levites, because clearly Eliashib and his peoples was not it. Then Nehemiah saw later, later, this is after that incident, later he saw these men working on the Sabbath against, what is their law? Their law is very strict, like Sabbath is not for working, and here they are working on the wine press, trading, just doing stuff they were not supposed to do. He rebuked them for repeating the same things their forefathers had done and and had had calamity fall on the people. Isn't it interesting how soon we forget? Because earlier in this episode, not not very long ago, we saw the people themselves bind themselves in agreement to obey all God, all of God's commands, including this one of observing the Sabbath. And here, within no time, it seems they had forgotten. Regarding the gates, Nehemiah was still vigilant as he ordered the doors to be shut and not opened on the Sabbath. He even commanded the Levites to purify themselves and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Another command and agreement this, these people had agreed to. And here were some men already disobeying this one. And this one was intermarrying with forbidden people. In verse 25 of chapter 13, we are very dramatically told how Nehemiah rebuked and called curses down on them. Well, okay, it's just told. I think it's dramatic. He rebuked them. He called curses down on them. He even bit some of the men and pulled out their hair. Do you see why I call it dramatic? He made them take an oath in God's name, not to intermarry as forbidden. It was because of such marriages that Solomon, king of Israel, mm, that famous one, sinned. That's what Nehemiah said. Oh, it gets better. One of the sons of someone named uh, someone named jo or Joyada, son of Eliashib, yes, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Hor Horonite. This Eliashib, is he not the one who gave Heta Tobiah a room in God's house? Now he's an in-law to Sanballat, Heta number one, as we had earlier read in the series. This is just shapeless. <laughs> Haters are deeply entrenched. They are in the system. But alas, God and his people always surely win. The world was indeed completed despite all their threats and distractions. Tobias, Tobias' things were removed by Nehemiah. And now in a final hurrah, Nehemiah tells us how he drove out that son of traitor priest Eliashib. You know, the one who is now a son-in-law to hate us and Balat. Yeah, Nehemiah said, I drove him away from, him, from me. Nehemiah repeatedly asks God to remember him with favor. He was an exemplary, strategic, faithful administrator and overall amazing leader. I think anyone who's followed this agrees. He was worth an entire book in the Bible and now an entire Wanjasity rebuilding series. There's just so much I've learned and I keep learning about how to carry on a successful project, building project or just life. 
I pray, dear listener, that you have and continue to pick up these lessons and emulate them in your own life, in your building or rebuilding projects. Beyond the TV shows of rebuilding on screen that I love to your own life, keep building with integrity. And may God remember us with favor too. This has been a Wanjacity production where we have more than audacity. Remember to shine because like that city on a hill, you cannot be hidden. Till next episode, the next time, next door, right here at Wanjacity, be the light. Thank you.